Well, good afternoon, everyone. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you all through our Lord Jesus Christ. I am uh, Tim Shorey, one of the pastors here, and it's my humbling task and privilege to open up God's Word with you this, this afternoon. And so I invite you to turn uh, to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. We're going to read the first 12 verses of this chapter this week. Last week we read the entire chapter and would I would encourage you if you uh, did not give a hearing to that to go back and just listen uh, for there is power and tremendous effect just in the reading of this text of Scripture in its entirety. But in the interest of time and because the text gives me much to say this afternoon and not nearly enough time in which to say it, uh, we're going to read just the first 12 verses here today. So Matthew chapter 23, beginning in verse 1, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray. King Jesus, you have told us that it is through you that we would come to know the truth, and the truth would set us free. So Lord, would you please speak truth to us this afternoon, even though through a fallible preacher, Lord, speak your truth with power to our hearts, to humble us, to convict us, to restore us, to change us, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Just to briefly review where we have been to this point in the Gospel of Matthew, as, as Jesus nears the end of his life, and has set his heart toward Jerusalem and a hill called Calvary, a hill on which he, as the Prince of Glory, the eternal Son of God made flesh, would die as an atonement for our sins. As Jesus makes his way to the cross, he feels a burden. He feels a burden that is mixed with wrath and mercy together to confront those who had opposed him, those who doubted him, 
to confront them with the great sin of which they were guilty, the sin that was keeping them from surrendering to Him as their Lord and Savior. It was the sin of hypocrisy. In Matthew 23, Jesus goes after this sin in earnest and with indignation and compassion together. Last week we saw the essence of hypocrisy, noticing that the word in the Greek comes from Greek culture and theatrical situations where actors wore masks that did not necessarily match their hearts. So they would wear an angry mask or a sad mask or a happy mask regardless of the actual condition of their hearts. And so we saw last week that the essence of hypocrisy is wearing masks that do not match what's on the inside of us. The essence of hypocrisy is pretending, pretending to be someone or something that we are not. It is when, because we are not sincere or authentic, our inside does not match our outside. It is when we are not what we seem to be. Jesus rebukes this and Jesus corrects this in this lengthy, intense sermon to the Pharisees. And in the course of this, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, offers what we might call the cures for hypocrisy. To cure hypocrisy, we must, we learned last week, practice what we preach. We must not have a double standard and we must aim to do and be good and not just look good. I want to I say here at this point, just in case anyone might misunderstand, I want to say that we all have a bit or even a lot of hypocrisy in us. It's, it's not until heaven dawns that we will be free at last from the impurities and insincerities of our hearts. So take, for example, the third cure that we mentioned last week. Aim to do and be good, not just to look good. Well, I'm here to tell you that that is a battle for authenticity and sincerity that I'm convinced none of us will ever completely win this side of heaven. I know for sure I have never won that battle, not consistently. My flesh craves human praise and approval, and this tempts me at every point of my life when I preach, when I counsel, how I counsel, who I counsel, how much I counsel, what words I say when I minister to others or don't say. There is a me-focused temptation that affects everything I do. And I suspect that that is true of you as well, even if you don't fully realize it. There's a lingering enemy inside of us that's called pride and self and love of human approval. The aiming to look good spirit haunts all of us. And it will until the day we pass into glory. Now, I don't want that to cripple you. I don't want that to cripple me. So what do we do with that awareness of our own hypocrisy? Well, we own it. We 
confess it. We trust in the blood and righteousness of Christ to cover it. We believe in God's forgiveness of it. We continue to try to put it to death one little episode at a time. And then we keep on serving Christ fully conscious that even the best things we do are still stained with sin, but they are ever and always and forever covered by the grace of God. If I did not believe that, I would not be standing here right now. I would be paralyzed by my own mix of motives. Hypocrisy is in all of us. But grace is greater than all our sin. Now here in Matthew 23, the Pharisees are not a group of guys who are humbly aware of their hypocrisy tendencies and trying to do battle with them. What we have here are men, and there are plenty of women like them, who are phonies through and through. They are not just guilty of some hypocrisy, they are hypocrites. How do we do battle with this? How do, we, how do we overcome this? What are the corrective and curing means that Jesus includes here in His sermon? Well, again, we can consciously and conscientiously seek to practice what we preach, to not have a double standard, and to aim to do and be good, not just look good. And Jesus goes on to say a whole lot more here that we have to try to get through somehow in the next few minutes. There are six other things that I points that I want us to cover. I'm going to linger on two or three of them and simply skim over the others of them, but just try to make sure to say them all so that we have a, a more complete understanding of this entire chapter. So first for today, to, to cure hypocrisy, we have to conquer, we have to conquer our proud motives, we have to conquer our proud motives with humble servanthood. We have to conquer our proud motives with humble servanthood. Notice verses 6 through 12. And they, the Pharisees, loved the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. We need to clarify here. Uh, Jesus is, as he often does in his teaching, he's using the homiletical device, the preaching device of hyperbole. He is exaggerating things to make a point just like he did back in chapter 5 when he tells us that if your eye offends you, cut it out. There is a use of hyperbole. It's not like Jesus is saying here, don't ever call anyone Father. It's not like Jesus is saying to my children, you can't call 
that man your father. These are, these are not meant to be outright laws about ever having a title of any sort or have, being even considered a spiritual father in people's lives. In fact, throughout Scripture, throughout the New Testament and the writings of the apostles, we see different titles and designations used time and again. What Jesus is saying through hyperbole here is that we ought not to care about titles. We ought not to care about what those titles might imply by means of of superiority or a kind of a godlike role in other people's lives. Beware of titles. Beware of wanting to be a leader for the sake of a position or of craving prominence, of preaching sermons, of, of insisting parents that your kids look at you with awe and wonder. What's one way to conquer all of those kind of proud motives and love of praise and prominence and human approval, the way Jesus says is to practice humble servanthood. Notice verses 11 and 12. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Not the first time Jesus has taught this. Back in chapter 20, verses 26 through 28, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be the first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. The, 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 the antidote to the disease, the cure for the disease of hypocrisy and the, the pride of our motives is to see ourselves as servants of all to humble ourselves before us. And notice, Jesus does not just tell us to serve. He tells us to be servants. And there is a difference. It's the difference between cutting hair and being a barber. It's the difference between cooking a meal and being a chef. It's the difference between doing a good thing once in a while and believing that your very reason for existence is to do good. It's the difference between helping someone out and on the other hand realizing with joy and with a, with a sense of privilege that near to the very heart of your identity and my identity as human beings is an awareness that we live to serve. Serving from time to time could well be hypocrisy. Servanthood is a mark of sincerity. There's a title for us to crave, if we're going to crave one. He, she, is a servant of the Most High God. He, she, is a servant of the church. He, she, is a servant to his or her family. He, she, is a servant to all. Hypocrites can do nice things on occasion. Authentic servants live to serve. 
Hypocrites define their life by titles and acclaim and praise. Sincerity defines identity in terms of how to help and edify and encourage and serve others. Hypocrisy says, I am a pastor. I am an author. I am a leader. I am a doctor. I am a professor. I am a blogger. I am a singer. I am an artist. I am a banker. I am a president. I am a scholar. I am a ruler. I am a father. I am a mother. Sincerity says, I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hypocrisy looks for praise. Humility looks for need and then considers how to meet it. Hypocrisy schemes how it can win human approval. Humility asks how it can serve human need. Hypocrisy grabs and grasps for appreciation and honor. Humility grabs every opportunity it can to give appreciation and honor to others. Hypocrisy talks about what it has done so that others will notice. Humility simply does whether it is noticed or not. Friends, let's, let's make this near to the core of our identity as followers of Jesus Christ. We are servants of the Most High God. And we are servants to one another. Let's make words like, I want to serve. How can I serve? What needs do you have that I can meet? How can I help? What can I pray for? What can I do? In order to cure the disease of proud hypocrisy, we must practice humble servanthood. Next, Jesus says that we should seek God's proselytes or followers, not our own. That's what verses 13 through 15 are about. We should seek God's proselytes, God's followers, not our own. Verse 13, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. What is Jesus saying here? There's a lot there. We don't have time to go into the layers, but part of what He is saying is that these Pharisee hypocrites were trying to make proselytes, new converts, new followers, only the problem was that they were not proselyte converts to Jesus or to the true and living God, but proselytes to follow them. And the end result of that was that they actually pushed people further away from the kingdom of God, further away from the truth. You see, hypocrites live to gather followers to themselves. But a sincere man, a sincere woman, is not concerned to get personal disciples or spiritual groupies. A sincere man or woman wants there to be more followers of Jesus Christ. You may automatically think of pastors and preachers and politicians 
and uh, people in power when you think of this particular point who may be trying to gather a following and some spiritual groupies around them. But I, I wonder, who can be guilty of Just pastors? Pastors sure can. Is it just pastors? I suggest it's anyone who has a place of influence with anyone. Anyone who has a place of influence. A pastor to a church. Parents to children. One of the grave mistakes that many parents make is that they seem more focused on turning their children into clones than they are into followers of Christ. Little daddy disciples or mommy mimics rather than those who follow and imitate Jesus. Anybody in any kind of cause or place of influence, anybody who writes a blog, anybody who really does anything that tries to influence others is at risk of facing the temptation of seeking followers for self rather than for Christ. Beware of this. Pray for me and your pastors that we will be aware of this. Don't seek followers for self, but for Jesus. Next, to cure hypocrisy, don't look for loopholes. Don't look for character loopholes or integrity loopholes. Look at verse 16. Verse 16. Jesus says, Woe to you blind guides who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that is made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Again, just have to touch on this briefly. You don't need to know all the ins and outs of what's going on here. It's enough to know, and this is obvious just from the reading of the text, it's enough to know that these people were looking for integrity loopholes. They were, they were looking for ways to make it so that they wouldn't have to keep their word. They had made promises, but since they had sworn, made their promise based on this and not that, they really weren't bound to keep their promise. And, and so, in effect, because they didn't swear on their mother, but swore on her grave. They didn't have to keep it. If they had their fingers crossed behind their back, they didn't have to keep their promise. That was the kind of, of, of loophole that they were looking for. Folks, what Jesus is getting at here is this. Sincerity doesn't look for loopholes. Sincerity is committed to consistency. It doesn't make excuses. It doesn't say, I, I know I shouldn't have done that, but under these circumstances, in the midst of a corona crisis, it doesn't make excuses for sin. 
doesn't say, well, it's been hard. It's been hard. Maybe I don't have to keep my word. Maybe I don't have to fulfill my promise. Maybe I don't have to be quite as godly. After all, it's been hard. Their authenticity doesn't look for loopholes. Authenticity seeks consistency. Now, I can feel it even through the camera and all the virtual stuff that's going on here. I, I can feel the, the awakening of conscience that that point offers. Because I'm pretty sure that in this past week, you and I have made excuses for sin or things we have said or not said or promises we have not met or kept. We're all fully or very conscious of our own sin. And so, even as we started, let us continue to remember that even our insincerity and our inconsistency and our searching for loopholes, even those things, even those things have been washed in the blood of Christ. Even those things have been paid for on Calvary. That does not mean we don't have to be concerned about them. It simply means we can be concerned about them, confident in the grace of God. The next point that Jesus makes is that we are to keep the main things, the main things. Keep the main things, the main things. Hypocrites don't do this. Hypocrites have a distorted sense of proportion and priority, and they focus on minor things rather than major things. So Jesus addresses this in verses 23 and 24. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Hypocrites will have a distorted sense of what's most important. Jesus is saying here, while everything matters, including tithing, as you ought to have done, there are some things that matter more. Some things that matter most. They were not wrong for doing the smaller things. They were simply wrong for neglecting the bigger things. They got out a strainer to strain out the tiny gnat before they drank the water, but failed to notice the camel that was in the cup. There are weightier things. The word speaks of that which has substance, that which has weight. It's more serious, more important, more significant. It should receive our priority, attention, and application. Jesus is saying here, and we see it throughout Scripture, that there are theological truths and there are moral imperatives that are weightier than other truths or other imperatives. And part of authenticity is knowing the difference. Seeking the things that matter most. The things that ought to be done. That are morally necessary. And he names three. Starts with justice. 
discernment in matters of justice and right and wrong. This is almost always, every time the Greek word is used in the New Testament, speaks of judgment, the discerning and application of what is due to others. Justice is giving others what is their due by way of respect and action and advocacy and love. It involves a discerning judgment between right and wrong in order to meet out or give out what is right or what is due to others as biblically defined. It is a commitment to do the right things for the right people in the right way to the right degree because it is right and because it is their right as defined by God. It is treating people as is their due. Due respect, due process, due love, due attention, due protection, due care, due dignity, due everything. Jesus says this is a weightier This is a priority. This is something that we must give much attention to. We are to do justice. And then he says, mercy is a weightier matter. Mercy, which is help for the weak and forgiveness for the guilty. Help for the weak and forgiveness for the guilty. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. It is a priority that we do mercy. I find it striking these first two, how they balance each other and end up stretching all of us. If we see wrong, we are to do justice. If we experience injustice, we are to show mercy. We are not to be indifferent to wrongs done to others, but neither are we to be enraged and embittered by wrongs done to us. Our impulse and our commitment should be to seek justice when others are wronged and seek mercy when we are. These are the weightier things, Jesus said. And we are to do justice and mercy, he says, thirdly, with faithfulness. Or, I think, better translated, with faith. Almost every time the word, the Greek word is used in the New Testament, it speaks of faith. A, an authentic trust in God through Christ is a weightier thing. Trust in God, dependence upon God is a weightier thing. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. For we must come to God and believe that He is. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And I would suggest without faith, it is impossible to do justice and mercy. Faith, a dependence upon God. Faith which renounces self-sufficiency and throws itself upon the mercy of God and the care of God and the, into the arms of God and into the, the, well, the, the protection of God. Faith that depends on God and relies on God is what enables us to live life. It is what enables us to do justice and to do mercy. Without that kind of faith, you will never do justice or mercy in your life. These are the weightier things. The things that matter 
quickly. If we would grow in authenticity, we need to address some specific moral and ethical issues as well. Jesus tells us next to clean out the inner filth of our life. The language is strong here, but it's his language, not mine. Notice verses 25 through 28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus, of all the specific sins that he could have mentioned here, names four that he says we need to wash out of our insides. We we need to we need to go after these things and 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 cleanse our hearts from these things. He says we need to wash out greed, our our grasping, hoarding, consuming, longing for more. He says we are to wash out self-indulgence, our habitual, unrestrained feeding of ourselves. Jesus says we're to wash out all uncleanness. A word that refers in Scripture almost every time to sexual impurity. Any intentional sexual looking, desiring, touching, or consummating outside of a covenanted marriage relationship between a man and a woman for life, Jesus says, we are to wash out of our hearts. And Jesus adds that we should wash out lawlessness. The habitual, willful disobedience to the law of God. What he's saying is that if we want to reduce and weaken hypocrisy in our hearts, we need to, we need to seek a hypocrisy-killing commitment to simplicity, which is the opposite of greed, to, to generosity, the opposite of self-indulgence, to purity, the opposite of uncleanness, to authority, the opposite of lawlessness. Create in me, the psalmist a clean heart, O God. That should be our prayer as well. And finally, another cure for hypocrisy that Jesus gives us is that we should imitate and obey the righteous, not just honor them. In verses 29 through 36, which I don't have time to read at this point, I can summarize it for you. He pronounces a woe on the scribes and Pharisees because they built tombs to the prophets and monuments to the righteous, and yet they themselves were not righteous, and they themselves were not obeying the prophets. What he was saying was that we as humans, especially hypocritical humans, we love our heroes, we love those that we can build monuments to, but we just don't want to really live like them. We, 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 
We want to honor them, but not obey them. We want to honor their sacrifice, but not make the same sacrifices ourselves. We want to honor their character, but not have the same character ourselves. We are, we are hero worshipers, but almost never are we those who imitate those we worship. And Jesus says this is hypocrisy. So what we ought to do What we ought to do is recognize those who have gone before us, their character and their words, and we should imitate them, making sure that the one that we honor the most, the one that has gone before us, no one other than the Lord Jesus Christ, that He is not just honored with our lips, that we do not just religiously go through motions that honor Jesus, but we should indeed obey Him and imitate Him and be like Him, lest with our lips we claim a love of what is good, but with our lives we deny it. Friends, this text of Scripture obviously is a hard one. And I was thinking earlier how difficult it is to preach a message on hypocrisy when you are very much aware of hypocrisy in your own heart. And yet, it is a text of Scripture. It is These are the words of our Lord and King, and they are to be taken seriously, for Jesus is very serious here. He pronounces woes and judgment. He describes them in vivid, striking, stark ways. Blind guides, blind fools, whitewashed graves, brood of vipers, children of hell. Folks, Jesus is not throwing a temper tantrum here. What he is doing is honestly and forthrightly declaring the seriousness of sin in the seriousness of hypocrisy. And he is calling them and calling us to repentance. He is functioning here as judge. In Acts 17, we read that God has appointed a day when He will judge the world in righteousness by a man, Christ Jesus, whom He has appointed for that role. Jesus one day is going to judge us all. Jesus one day is going to make an pronouncement over all of us. Are we ready for that day? This warning, this severe warning by our Lord is not an, an act of, of raw fury. This is, this is an act of mercy. This is Jesus pleading with these men and women to to humble themselves and to repent of their sin and to follow Him. And that's how we need to conclude here today. If these messages bring conviction, if these messages awaken conscience to hypocrisy in your own life, don't despair. 
Don't think there's no point. My heart is so messed up. Why even bother? No. Repent of it. Confess it. Believe Jesus died for it. Trust His forgiving mercy. Know that His blood washes you clean. His righteousness covers all your unrighteousness. And from that place of acceptance and forgiveness, commit yourself to Christ. Again and anew. To follow Him. To walk with Him. To seek to be like Him. To walk humbly, sincerely, before you God. These are the things that matter most. May they be the things that characterize us, that rule us, that change us. Let's pray. Our Father, would you please humble us, not to despair, but humble us to the place of and trust in our wonderful Savior, King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to know that the rebukes of our God are not for condemnation, but they are to lead to repentance. The correction of Jesus is not to punish, but to show mercy. Help us to know it. Help us to believe it. Help us to trust in our Savior with fresh faith, and then commit to becoming more and more on the inside what we seem to be on the outside. To an authenticity that will please you, that will humbly serve others and bring you more. For Jesus' sake.